Well, I, I got to say, I was impressed by how many books were thrown and how many times the interns caught it. <laughs> I don't think I've ever seen that at the beginning of an evening service, so well done to the interns. Thank you for coming. Thank you for taking the time for us to consider this important topic of how to care for singles in our church and what a ministry to singles would be like. I, I want to take some time and think together about what it would be to be faithful in singleness, but then what it looks like to be together in community in, as singles and those who come alongside singles and help them grow in their faith. We're going to consider relationships, uh, singles to other Christians, singles to other single adults, singles to married folks, singles to families, singles to children, singles to seniors, and singles to people who are not like me, who might be all of those plus more. Uh, and and my, my prayer is that as we think through these things, we're not just thinking about relationships. We're thinking about how the gospel changes the nature of our relationships as we relate to other people. It doesn't matter who we are. We want the gospel to be central and transformative to how we live the Christian life. So to start, I just want to lay out uh, a couple of principles. So you'll see your handout is divided into a part one and a part two. Part, part one is I just want to lay out a couple of principles that will be really universal for all of us. And then part two, I want to go through singles relating to each one of those groups of relationships and think through some of the dynamics that are there. So to begin with, uh, you see there the foundation of Christian relationships is based on the unity we have through faith in Jesus Christ. Christ is the ground of any and every Christian friendship. Christians can no more be alien and strangers to one another any more than our nose can be alien to our face. Think about the, what the Bible describes as unity amongst Christians. So you see there Galatians 3.28. There's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. As Christians, because we're united in Christ, by definition we're in relationship with one another. That unity to our Savior puts us in a relationship with each other. <coughs> when we think of relationships in the church, what comes to mind to you as a binding factor in your relationships? And is, is it Christ being central or is it something else? Secondly, you see there the goal of relationships, spurring one another on. While many singles will struggle with loneliness, and it's wonderful to laugh and have fun in our relationships, the primary goal of our Christian relationship is to spur one another on in greater faith, greater love, greater self-sacrifice, and greater maturity. Think about how the Bible describes these things as key elements in our relationships. John chapter 15, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that he may lay down his life for his friends. But Ephesians chapter 4, it was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, 
some to be evangelists, some to be pastors and teachers, to prepare God's people for the work of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we reach the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. The nature of our relationships. In thinking about the basic nature of Christian relationships in the church, we describe them as family-type relationships. Paul writes in 1 Timothy, Do not rebuke an older man harshly, but exhort him as if he were your father. Treat younger men as brothers, <coughs> older women as mothers, younger women as sisters, with absolute purity. 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 1 and 2. Now, the, in the church, we're to treat each other as family mothers, as brothers and sisters in Christ. And the obvious question is, what do brother and sister relations look like if they're biblical and they're healthy? It's not a business relationship. It's not a mere acquaintance. They're not to be dealt with from a distance and not to be superficial. As we care for one another as a body of Christ, how do we treat a brother and sister? Well, let me make a few suggestions, just six things that how they might look like. First, you see there, with care, concern, service, and self-sacrifice. We should be concerned for each other, for our physical and spiritual well-being, and as family members, we should treat each other with great care. And how's that demonstrated? By protecting the reputation of our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, by going out of the way to serve one another and to show each other that we're willing to sacrifice in a way that's different than anybody else in the world. In a typical family, we'll do things for each other that we wouldn't expect to do for anyone else. So you've, you've ever been in that position where you, 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 you schedule a flight, you book a flight for an ungodly hour early in the morning, and you begin to think, which friend can I call to take me to the airport at 4.30 in the morning? And you begin to count through the friends and think, not that guy, and not that guy, and not that guy. Oh, my brother will take me. No, no, actually, he probably won't. My mom will take me because she loves me, and she doesn't mind getting up at 4.30 in the morning to take me to the airport. Well, family members make sacrifices like that for one another. Well, if, if, if you do that in your biological family, shouldn't it be the same in the church? Shouldn't we as a family be willing to make sacrifices for one another that set our relationships apart from anybody else in the world? Second, with interest and knowledge. Genuine family members are engaged with each other and not emotionally distant. Relationships require some knowledge. In fact, in nearly, it's nearly impossible to have a relationship without any knowledge. Generally, knowing each other's lives is critical to having brother and sisterly relations. Third, with encouragement to grow spiritually. If we are a Christian family, then our greatest priority is to see each other grow to be more like Christ. 
We want the gospel to be central to our family relationships. And so the great aspiration of Paul in Colossians 1, 28 and 29, he toiled. And why did he labor so hard? So he might present everyone mature in Christ. Fourth, with love. It would be easy to try to work to manipulate relationships to meet our needs. But our goal as we care for one another is to be the kind of people who are willing to show sacrificial love toward each other and to show love toward each other in a way that the sacrifices distinguish us us from everybody else. Now, knowledge without love is useless. Knowledge without love is useless. No one wants to be a project of a friend. And so when I care for someone, if they know I'm committed to them and I love them, they'll be willing to hear anything from me, even the very hard things I'm going to say. But if I'm not confident that you love me and that you're committed to my good, it's going to be a lot harder to hear what you have to say to me. So we, 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 we want our relationships to be centered on a Christ-centered love that shows a difference in how we live with one another. And finally, with purity, Paul says at the end of the verse to treat each other with absolute purity. Paul knows that sexual sin's a real danger, so he urges the men and women to be careful about how they live amongst each other. He wants all of our relationships in the family of God to be characterized by purity and holy living. Unless someone in your church is your spouse, they're to be treated as you would your biological brother or sister. Now, the priority of Christian relationships, membership in a local church, our relationships are not contextless. While it's perfectly fine to get to know Christians at work and school and other settings, the healthiest and most helpful context for these Christian relationships is a local church. A church is a spiritual community where we are committed to love, with, love one another and live with each other in family-type relationships and where we are willing to help each other to honor God and obey and live faithfully. In a church, we make a self-conscious commitment to biblical faithfulness with each other. What are we doing? We're locking arms with one another and journeying together to heaven as if we're in a salvation cooperative. I'm not doing this by myself. We're going to do this together. So what's membership? It's a self-conscious commitment to this body of believers saying, I'm willing to put my discipleship and my walk with Christ under the care of this group of believers and entrust them to watch over me, and I also promise to watch over them. So individual Christianity is an anathema. It just shouldn't exist. It's not possible to survive on your own. In fact, if I were a member of church, what I would be saying to you is, I need you and you need me. And if you think you can get by by yourself, you're deluded. Because that's just not how God has made it work. 
You, you can't survive on your own. And the danger with an American mindset is individualism is woven into the fabric from a very young age. So, uh, you know, uh, th- this afternoon while I was here, my youngest son played uh, a soccer game, and I'm trying to teach him how to be a soccer player. But I'm trying to teach him not to be a showboat. You know what that is? If you've ever coached a team, you know what a showboat is. It's the most talented player on the team who doesn't know how to play like a teammate. What I want him to learn from an early age, and don't worry, he, I mean, I, I, sh, I, I guess, is this being recorded? I hate to say he's not that talented. <laughs> <laughs> he's a sweet kid who's not an athlete who's willing to go out on the field and work hard. He's not a gifted athlete, but he's a hard worker. And what I love about him is he gets what it means to work on a team. He knows what it means to work together. And that's what we're doing. We're not individuals in our faith. We're working together, journeying for heaven together. And that's why membership becomes so important. I want to commit someplace and work together to learn what faithfulness looks like in the Christian life. Well, part part, part two, the single life in the context of a local church. Well, what does this begin to look like as we begin to relate to the different people within the church context? What is a Christian friendship between a single man and a single woman? And what does it mean to have brother and sisterly relations within a local church? You come to realize that there's a temptation to treat other women or men as a potential spouse <coughs> or only to have casual relationships or disregard them altogether. That's often our operative categories, isn't it? As a single adult rating to other single adults. Are we interested, or are we just going to throw them out, or is it just going to be a casual acquaintance? When a single person approaches the opposite sex through the lens of, am I interested or not, they're not thinking biblically. First and foremost, their disposition must be to treat the opposite sex as a brother and sister in Christ, not a potential spouse. So you see there on your handout the single friendship continuum. I just want to explain that to you. I I was thinking through this. I was trying to think of a good way to describe this. And a friend of mine and I were having lunch, and we realized, oh, you know, there is kind of a continuum we notice as pastors as we look at the way some singles approach this. You see on, on, on that continuum there, On the one side of the continuum, if you think of a spectrum of relationships, on the right side is the paranoid. That means the single person that's so scared of rejection, either because he's been rejected often or just because he's fearful, that he doesn't engage. He's overly concerned with protecting the the gal's heart, and he's very conservative about engaging, apart from very casually interacting at church or in group settings. He puts most of his effort into the, I'm not interested in them as a future spouse category, and he doesn't waste his time in trying to relate to them. 
Well, that's the paranoid. He keeps himself or she keeps herself distant from other people and doesn't like to develop those kinds of friendships that become good friends or even worse, even more intimate. We'll go all the way to the other side. The promiscuous, you can guess what this is. The single person sees every person as attractive and in the interested category. So he or she does everything they can to flirt with the people that potentially could be a future husband or wife. Either the, 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 they flirt with them in person or, you know, this is the person who's going to like all of your Facebook posts or is texting you quite often or now on social media, you know, is, is following you on TikTok. It's like all the versions of being able to interact with someone now online or in person creates this picture of like, hey, I'm interested in you potentially. The attention with the opposite sex leads to being just simply a big flirt. That's the promiscuous sides of thing. And sadly, they don't consider that person often as someone they're leading on. So, paranoid and promiscuous, two opposite sides of this continuum. What am I looking for? Look at right down in the middle. Biblical friendship. A biblical balance means treating every single person of the opposite sex as a brother and sister in Christ. This could include good things like protecting their heart, but guarding their heart, it doesn't mean the only other option is to disengage, to go on that paranoid side of things. A single person can relate to the opposite sex in pure prayerful, holy, sacrificial, and Christ-centered honoring way. So biblical friendship. It is possible for singles to relate to one another in that kind of godly, holy friendship that can be edifying and helpful to each other. Well, what might this look like? You know, what, what does it look like for singles to build that kind of relationship? Men and women try to lead spiritually focused conversations when single men and women go out to lunch together after church. Or, you know, men walk women home in in our church because we're in a city and it can be dangerous late at night. And it doesn't mean the guy's interested in her. It means the guy is just trying to do the kind thing in making sure she gets home safely. Uh, Men and women ask each other how to pray for one another. Men and women have more than superficial conversations with each other. Men and women are not scared to actually cover a wide variety of topics, but are sensitive to things that should only be talked about with those of the same sex. Men and women demonstrate hospitality and facilitate group events that encourage fellowship with other single men and women. Singles deliberately cross over to be friends with couples and vice versa. Single women help out, a single men help out single women with tasks that would be difficult to do on their own, like moving a couch or fixing a carburetor. Single men and women write thank you notes to each other. And I can go on and on and on. What does it look like to have friendships with each other? And the best part about that is that that wasn't hypothetical. That was a list of things I've seen singles in our church do as they relate to one another. 
This is real life as they relate to each other. This is what they do when they relate to one another. It is actually possible. And a lot of singles say to me, that's not possible. I've just never seen a church where they relate to each other like that. I say hogwash. I'm a pastor who's seen it in person, and I've been thrilled at a, as a pastor to see how singles build solid friendships to one another. So here's my challenge. If you've never experienced that, begin to think practically what that looks like and commit to doing that. Because it is possible in, in our churches for singles to have beautiful relationships like that. Now, uh, relating to the the uh, relating to the other same-sex single adults within your church. Uh, th- th- there are a lot of blessings in relating to the other same-sex single adults. It's a blessing to have others going through the same similar issues and struggles, like identity questions, work development, struggle, similar struggles, sexual temptation. Uh, it's, it's great to have others just to have fun with, to enjoy fellowship, share common interests, to get support and encouragement. It's great to have others to relate to who have more freedom and time and than families typical to do. But the downfall in relating to other single adults, unless a single person is talking to a single adult who's a decade or two ahead of them, a single friend generally has limited wisdom because they're typically around the same age. And so what we're talking about is similar struggles, similar accomplishments, similar life stages. Why do I bring this up? With, with a lot of single adults, especially in their 20s, there's a tendency for single men and women to rely too heavily on their other single friends for advice and guidance and encouragement. Rather than going across that bridge to families or to elders, they are more comfortable relating to one another to other single adults in getting advice and encouragement. Now, there are particular temptations that can be attached to certain seasons of life, and only to relate to those who are struggling with the same things makes the problem worse sometimes and not better. Let me just give an example. So, say two single men or two single women struggling with sexual sin or struggling with pornography. On the one hand, that's really useful because the person gets what you're going through. So you'll find a lot of mercy and a lot of sympathy with your problem. But on the other hand, that's dangerous because what you need is someone who's going to be a little bit more edgy. You know what I mean? Someone who's willing to push you on that. Someone who's willing to say the hard thing. And sometimes if you're relating to someone who's struggling with the exact same issue, there's a lot more sympathy than exhortation. And you need both. You need the sympathy for what you're struggling with, but you also need the exhortations and the challenges for what you need to also deal with as you face that problem. You know, uh, friends can be really patient, less judgmental as you're facing a similar sin. But 
that's not always helpful for you. Or let's just take the example of uh, uh, folks who want to get married, whether it's single guys or a group of single women. As they desire to get married and they hope to get married one day, as they get together, conversations about it can be healthy, but they can spiral into what we'll call pity parties, where we begin to feed off of one another the things we struggle with, and it doesn't actually help us think in a more edifying and healthy way what God wants of us in this season and how to pursue it. So the challenge is to think through our relationships with one another when you're a single adult. What does it mean actually to help one another, and where are the stumbling blocks as we relate to one another? Well, let's think a little bit, if you flip over the page, to relating to the rest of the community. What does it look like to relate to families, to seniors, and to children? Well, when it comes to families, the most common excuse I've heard from singles in relating to families is they're always so busy, and I hate to be a burden on them. Helping singles not to get stuck in those thoughts or stuck in those excuses and getting them to build relationships with families is actually a good bit of work on both sides of it. Now, for example, singles, you could be reluctant in stepping into the life of a family because you know there's so much going on. Now, I I have singles reach out to me, and my wife has plenty of single ladies reach out to her. And if your expectations are calibrated correctly, I think there's no reason why you can't actually build relationships with families. Let me give an example. If a young woman reached out to my wife and expected her to be able to just simply grab coffee with her on an afternoon, that expectation is a little too high because for many years my wife was homeschooling five children. So she was not only running our home and homeschooling our children, but between that she was also caring for me and actually relating to other women in the church. And so it took a lot for her to break away from everything going on within our home to have a break, to have coffee for an hour and a half in the middle of the day. But if that young woman adjusts her expectation and says, can I come over and simply hang out with you and the kids, help you with some of the homeschooling, hang out with the children who are taking breaks, and actually have meals with you, oh, you know what? She would be brought right into our family life. And as my wife would often say, if you're willing to come alongside us in the middle of our life and pick up whatever crumbs are there of wisdom and knowledge, you're actually going to be able to fit right in. So adjust your expectations as you relate to a family. You know, same thing with me. When I uh, grab single guys to go with me to do things, I often say, like, you can set up an appointment in the middle of the week to meet meet with me as a pastor, but even better come with me to my son's soccer game. You know why? On the way there, if he has a temper tantrum, you're going to watch me as a parent work through things with him, and you're going to learn more than you're going to get out of any book, because you're going to see it in action. So I would say adjust your expectations. Take initiative with families but be deliberate in trying to relate to families in the ways you do it and fit in rather than make them fit around you. Step into their life 
And you'll be able to pick out thousands of bits of things that you will learn that you'll be eternally grateful for. So a couple of months ago, I was on a trip and I ran into a young guy who was an intern for us many years ago. And as he and his then girlfriend who became his wife came and hung out with our family, at the end of dinner, I didn't think anything of it, but I said, (coughs) why don't you come upstairs with us as we actually put the kids to bed and you can watch a little bit of our bedtime routine with the kids. You know what he said to me? He said, you know, that one night was transformative for me because years later, now with my own kids, I do exactly the same thing that you do with your kids. I didn't think anything of it. I just thought at the last minute, why don't you come join us so you can hang out a little bit longer? But then he watched how we read the Bible, how we memorize, how we sing with our kids. And he had never seen that in in a Christian home ever before. So families don't ever underestimate what is the normal things in your life, what a gift it is to singles, what a beautiful thing it is to bring singles along into your life. So my challenge is to singles, hey, don't take no for an answer. Pursue a family. Take initiative with dads and moms, with husband and wives. And, you know, if if they say no, move on and find another one. But keep going until somebody says yes. And then families, be deliberate about bringing singles into your life and inviting them along so they can learn. Now, Lee Beach, at that point, Lee Yu, 17 years ago, initiated with my wife the very first week we came on staff. She said to her, she sent her a text and said, would you disciple me? And my wife looked at me, we're, we were unpack, literally unpacking our house, settling in on staff, and she said, what do I do? I said, disciple her, this is why we came. <laughs> so she did. So she started meeting up with her, Lee started coming over for dinner. Eventually, when her lease ran out one year, she lived with us, and it turned out she lived with us not just one, probably two, maybe even three times. And then after the first few years of watching other families in our church take singles with them on vacation, I thought we should do that. So Lee started going on vacation with us to the beach. And she said to us, I knew I was a part of the family when I didn't need to knock on the back door anymore, when I could just come right on in. Well, she is our adopted daughter in the faith. You know, when a young man came to pursue her because she has a distant relationship from her father, he actually came to me and said, you're her spiritual dad, so I need to ask if I can pursue this relationship. I was like, whoa, I've never done this before, but I'm glad to play this role in her life and in your life. So be deliberate. Be deliberate, families, as you bring singles along and think strategically, how can we open our home to singles so that we can enrich their spiritual life and help them grow in faith? And what can we offer? Don't ever underestimate what you have to offer to singles in growing in their Christian faith. Then you see relating to seniors. Scripture sees maturity and experience as oftentimes associated with those who are older, Proverbs 16, 31, and 20, 29. 
help singles to consider what a blessing it might be to care for the senior adults by occasionally visiting them, reading scripture to them, praying with them, giving them rides to church, visiting them during the week. You know, we'll often say, if a young man can stand up and give a devotional in an evening, he might be ready for ministry. But if I see that young man going and picking up seniors and bringing them to church and knowing what it's like, the value of those seniors and ministering to them, I know that guy's ready for ministry because that guy gets what it means to relate to the church and to the wisdom that's built into a church. This guy who can do a devotional, I can teach almost any guy how to do that if he's, if he's willing to learn. But this kind of Christ-centered love that understands the value of community and is willing to self-sacrifice for the sake of loving people who are not like me, okay, that gives me a good hint that that guy is ready to be a deacon one day, maybe an elder years later, and potentially even in ministry. So don't, don't ever underestimate single the value of the seniors and the rich wisdom they have to offer you. I grew up, you know, in, here in the States without grandparents. And one of my fondest memories is an older man who would take me out on Saturday afternoons to do golf together when I was just a freshman and sophomore in high school. Mr. Rob, as I would call him, had been an elder in our church for literally decades. And I thought this was about golf. Little did I know when he took me to lunch at Howard Johnson's every time we finished golf, it was about him discipling me as a young high schooler, pouring years of walking with the Lord into my young life. And I, as a young guy, underestimated what was going on there. I thought I was getting a free round of golf. Little did I know, I wasn't even a believer yet, I had an older man pouring into me and investing in my life. And I am forever grateful for the long line of older men who've been willing to take the time to invest in my life. Because behind me as I stand up here, there's actually a long line of men in my history standing right behind me. There's a lot of gray hair and wisdom that poured into my life that lets me stand here right now. So what a wonderful opportunity that is to relate to the seniors in your church because you have decades of wisdom available to you in their life. Some, some of the hardest things, I think, in our church are the funerals for the dear departing saints. You know why is that? Because we're a church full of 20 and 30-year-olds. The handful of folks who are above 70 are down to just less than 10 or so within our church right now. And we're a congregation of 800 people. So we, we, we cherish the years we have left with the seniors that we have in our congregation, who many of them have been a part of our church for decades. So it's a real gift for those that you have. I, I love how much gray hair I even see in the church here. What, what a blessing that is. So don't take it for granted. 
And finally, relating to children. You know, one of the best opportunities of singles is to pour into the children of the church. You know, in, in our community, I love that my girls have relationships with all kinds of single women in our church. You know, yesterday I was taking a train up here. Chloe moved into our guest room so she could live with us for the summer. And when Chloe wrote us a couple weeks ago saying, hey, I'm in between leases. Would you, could I live with you? She's lived with us before again. And we were like, absolutely. You know why? She's a godly influence for our young daughters. She's a good influence to them. She's a wonderful example to them. And my three girls are not converted, and so they need those influences. I could go on down the list of singles who have taken the time to pour into my children. What an immense blessing. Well, Paul Miller, years ago when he was a single adult, <coughs> now a professor at Georgetown University married with multiple children, said to me as a single guy, I think I want to volunteer for childcare. And I said, Paul, why is that? He said, I know I want to get married one day, and I just realized before I have children of my own, I should probably practice on other people's children. <laughs> well, that wasn't exactly the kind of uh, motivation I expected a single man to explain to me. <coughs> Paul is a thoughtful young guy. But, you know, interestingly, I've explained that to a lot of single guys, and they thought, oh, yes, of course. If I want to be a dad one day, what a great opportunity. We have 250 children, ages 0 through 6th grade, every Sunday morning on the second and third and fourth floor of our church. And we require as many as 300, 350 volunteers <coughs> to pull off everything that we need to do. We can't do that without single adults. We actually can't pull it off unless the singles in our church were willing to commit that time. Well, even more so, if singles are willing to actually take my older son out to lunch and do a Bible study with him, or actually take my daughter to a soccer game when my wife and I are actually taking care of other things for ministry, or willing to move into our guest room and hang out with our older daughters, you know, this wouldn't be a church then. Because what do we want to do? We want to bring the walls down between singles and married. We don't want the singles to be over here and the married to be over here. We want the wall to come down because this is what it means to be a church together. The singles and the marrieds actually bless each other in the way they help one another. So, you know, I have five children. I don't call us a family. I call us a tribe because there are seven of us. In order to relate to my family, it requires a lot of energy, and my wife and I can't do it on our own. So we're grateful for the way singles are deliberate in relating to our family and how they take initiative with our kids. So think of these terms as a Christian. If single adults only went to hang out with folks just like themselves, 
then it wouldn't be gospel-like in my mind. I think you need to relate to people who are not like you in order for you to grow in your faith. Now, hang out with your friends who are like yourself. But the challenge is, if you want to be a gospel community, begin to think about who's not like me, who's different than me, who's in a different stage than me, who doesn't even look like me, who doesn't talk like me, who doesn't think like me, who's not educated like me, and that's the person I need to hang out with. Because I'm going to grow in understanding what it's like to be a Christian by relating to people who are not exactly like me. Because that's the beauty of the kingdom. You know, the diversity and the beauty of all of us together now under one roof, worshiping together and worshiping the same gospel together, that's what it means to be a community together. So I loved sitting on the front row this morning and hearing all the voices singing. What I look forward to in glory is when all of these problems are gone, all of the sin is gone, death is now behind us, and all I care about anymore is with all the diversity of all the nations, with every skin color possible, with every kind of person we know has come to faith in Christ, all we care about anymore is worshiping the Lord for all of eternity. That's what it means to be a community together. When I hear the voices like I did this morning, for me, it's like, oh, yeah, it's a foretaste of heaven. It's just this little taste of what's to come. This is what I'm looking forward to because you know what? It's not the married people who get a front row. We've got no extra special rewards. It's not sections 1 to 34, the married people. No, there's no such thing as a second-class Christian in the kingdom. And so, singles, hear me. You are a vital part of the community. And so, I hope you're standing on the front row with me. (laughs) We're all there together in glory, and that's what it means to be a Christian community together. We'll all be worshiping God together. So, you're, you're a valued, treasured part of gospel community. And no matter how many years the Lord gives you as a single adult, you're a part of God's plan for the kingdom. And so I want you to know that. Like, no matter how you relate to other relationships, and no matter what work the Lord has for you in growing in the kingdom, God has a beautiful plan for you as a single adult. And so be faithful now, but keep your eye on the goal, which is getting to glory together. And do it in gospel community, where we can all journey together, no matter where we are at, no matter what status we have, no matter what God is asking of us today. Let me pray for us. Lord, we know that no matter who we are and what you ask of us, We want to be faithful members of the gospel communities you called us to. So help us, Lord, to be faithful and to trust in you. Lord, I pray especially a blessing on the singles who are here. Help them to trust you and to love you and to never feel second class, 
but to know that they're, they're a valued and treasured possession of Christ and an invaluable part of this community. And we pray this all in your son's name. Amen. Amen. Uh, there are going to be two microphones on either side. We're going to ask you to go ahead and make your way down to one of the microphones to be ready to, to ask a question. Uh, Deepak, on the, I'm going to take the liberty of asking the first yeah, question shoot. or so. Uh, on the back of your first page, you say the priority of our Christian relationships and membership in a local church. Uh, even as you move through that, are, is this insinuating, mean, uh, or communicate that our closest friends, our best friends, should be members of our local church. And so I'm thinking of both singles and marrieds here yeah. as they're here in that. You're, are you telling us prioritize those relationships there over and against or over and above other relationships? Yes. Yeah. Okay, can we trade words? Uh, right? I'm going to offer you a trade. You, are we moving spots as well? Uh, no, 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 no. We're sitting right here. Okay. Uh, <laughs> you said should. I'm going to say likely or probably. Okay, fair. I'll say uh, Okay. As in... Uh, yes, if you're spending your life pouring into gospel community, <coughs> it's, it shouldn't be surprising that the closest relationships you're going to end up with are the people that you've committed uh, to be with in a local church. But, you know, I've got, a, I've got some really close friends that are outside my gospel community, too. Does that mean I need to Am give... Am I one of them? No, I'm <laughs> Well, of course you are. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love you, Raymond. I love you too. <laughs> Everybody loves me. That I'm dumb. But uh, uh, so you know, I um, my 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 wife and I, uh, in order for us to get kind of mentors, struck up a relationship with a senior pastor and his wife who've been in ministry for like 35 years. We have dinner with them a couple of times a year, and they've poured into our marriage mm -hmm. and our life in a really good way. But they're not connected to our church, and they're invaluable for our survival. But, you know, we only see them a few times a year. Our closest relationships are in our local church, and that would make sense. All right, so this is helpful. Double-clicking on that, just one, and then I'll pass, start passing to the side. Um, it's been my experience that sometimes I'll, I will speak with either married or single people uh, who are saying, okay, when they kind of have facilitated then relationships, like they, they just feel like they're not connecting with anyone yeah. in the local church. There's often a variety of reasons for that, but just kind of taking, taking the thesis for tonight. Is that perhaps that they feel like they're not connecting to anyone because they're either primarily looking for, if they're single, somebody to be a partner rather than a friend? And so they're just, they, they want to move churches because they feel like that it's not working itself out. They don't have friendships that aren't materializing relationships. Yeah. Or for married people, okay, they're, they're not working out in such a way where people kind of conform to, to kind of their particular calendar. Yeah. Any thoughts or wisdom that you give to that? Yeah, I mean, there's, a, there's an infinite number of reasons why a single adult may not be connecting in community. Um, but persistence matters in being able to finally make those connections. <coughs> Sorry, I had strep throat and bronchitis at the same time. That's why he wasn't here last week. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm on the tail end, but we made it. Um, so, you know, uh, uh, la uh, in, um, persistence, you know, if, if you're not making the relational connections, I love Rebecca, who Rebe Rebecca Coover last week explained to a number of us how she struggled in the first year at our church 
So she made the choice, I'm actually going to volunteer for a bunch of things, and I'm going to actually reach out and not wait for anyone. And so she started praying for people and emailing them. Uh, she started taking initiative to ask people out to lunch, uh, meeting other single ladies. She started writing, like, birthday cards to people. Amen. She volunteered at the bookstall. She became an usher. Like, she went after it. And it's not surprising that connections started forming and walls started coming down. But, you know, if you're having a hard time, don't, don't make a little bit of effort. Just go after it. Amen. I, w- I would say the couple who was boldest with us was a couple who said, we will, we will come and babysit for free every month if you're willing to give us an hour after your date night. Um, so, <laughs> I've never had an offer like that before. And guess what? I mean, you know, they ended up doing that for three straight years. Uh, so we, and, and we ended up actually hanging out with them you know, once or twice a month, giving in an hour on uninterrupted time after every day at night, they became really close to our children after three years of babysitting them. Um, but that kind of deliberateness, you know, I, I tell singles like, okay, cook dinner and bring it to a family. I don't know any family who would say no. <laughs> in fact, my favorite story is Homer as a single man in college invited our whole family to his dorm room for dinner. That's awesome. And we went just to see what he was going to try and pull off. (laughs) I was deadly curious, like, what's a single guy going to feed our family? And he cooked a spectacular meal. I was shocked. But can you imagine? Because we had really young kids. We stepped onto the dorm, and college students, freshmen and sophomores were like, Whoa, kids on the dorm floor. (laughs) They were shocked, but it was a great witness as him as a faithful believer inviting a whole family to his dorm room. You just imagine the conversations he had that next week. That's right. Yeah, amen. I mean, so just think about it. Like, take that initiative. You'd be surprised the walls that come down. Amen. Amen. That's helpful. All right, Sarah, we'll go back and forth. Uh, Name, church, question. Questions, not, not statements. Hi, Deepak. I'm Sarah. I attend this church. Here's my question. In the fog of our culture's idolatry of sexuality and self-centered pleasure through romantic relationships, what advice do you have on how we can intentionally not put marriage on a pedestal for our children? Ooh, wow, that's a great one. Um, uh, well, I mean, the reality is some of our children will end up being single for their whole life. So I I just want to balance just the beauty of singleness and the beauty of marriage. And the the beauty of being in a gospel-centered church that's committed to the Bible is the Bible has a high view of marriage. So if we're clear in the Scriptures and we're clear as Christians, that's going to come out. The downfall is everyone else can then feel secondary if we don't hold out the beauty of what a faithful single life would look like. And so I just want them to, 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 to do that both. Now, you know, our, our girls being teenagers are in that stage where boys are icky to them, and they're transforming into, oh, maybe I might be interested. So we're in that kind of transitional stage where for, for years our girls said, like, I'm never going to get married. 
And now they're thinking, oh, maybe I'll get married one day to one kid going like, yeah, I'm definitely getting married one day. So, you know, you, you work that with that range. Like once they understand what the Scriptures say, you want to make sure they never feel secondary if the Lord calls them to singleness. And so I want to preach a view of singleness that's beautiful to them so that if the Lord calls them to that for the rest of their life, they don't look at the married people and have bitterness. They just have a robust view of singleness, but they also understand the value of marriage. And what I want is if my 35-year-old daughter is not married, she's uber supportive of the married families and is, is wonderfully pouring into them in a way that they feel really loved and supported by her. So just, I think, both there. Can you define, you. just piggybacking on her question, what a, a call to singleness looks like? Yeah. Uh, when, when someone, maybe, maybe they don't want to be called uh, to this and they, they feel that, what, how would you explain that to somebody in context? As yeah, I mean, the, the, the hard one is a single adult who tried and did everything they could in regards to being in community, pursuing relationships, building friendships, and the Lord just never brought someone forward. And as they move into their 30s, in their 40s, the reality is it seems to them the Lord's not opening up the door to be married. And so they, they click over at some point into, ah, I've got to face the reality that this is what the Lord might have for me. And they move from fearful to sometimes bitter to like beginning to consider to beginning to own it and even embrace it. And so that's a spectrum. And some people get trapped in bitterness, confusion, and anger for a while. But you want to move over to like, no, okay, if this is what the Lord has for me, I want to be faithful. Okay, so when you're saying call, you're not saying like <coughs> they know something. You're saying, here's what the Lord has for me right now, and, and I'm I just being it. faithful yeah, in this I particular moment. Yeah. The unusual one is I minister to a lot of guys who struggle with same-sex attraction, and I would say a guy who has no attraction, I mean, I actually, absolutely no attraction at all to a woman, that's probably clearly uh, a, a, a necessarily a calling to be single for the rest of their life, since I think it's biblical to actually be attracted to your wife, and in intimacy is a necessary part of marriage. Yeah. Yeah, that's it's a great question. We don't deliberately have say something what we would call a singles ministry. We just kind of break it down and understand that the singles being a part of the church, uh, that is our singles ministry. So we don't have a separate like singles night or singles event or singles retreat. Now, here's the caveat. We, take, we ask singles to just take a lot of initiative in their life and community, but not, you know, you hear me talking about the importance of singles relating to family, not restricted to just singles, but take a ton of initiative with singles. So, singles will, you know, we're, we're 
close to the Shenandoah. So singles will organize, you know, all-day hike at the Shenandoah, and a ton of singles will be there. What I love is they also try to invite a lot of families. They're really deliberate on that. But there are times where singles are out, you know, together at someone's house, and there are not as many families because, you know, we're putting young kids to bed, so it's naturally more singles hanging out with one another. That's fine. I, I just want to be… We, we just don't deliberately create, a, outside of children, age-specific kind of programs geared towards that kind of niche group within the church. We just kind of try and build in as a whole community and then give them a lot of freedom to relate to one another across the board. Thank you. That's the answer I love to hear. Okay. <laughs> On this side. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, wisdom issues. Tell me your name. Steve, name? Steve, Steve, Steve Aldi Baptist in Philly. Uh, wisdom issues. I'll give you my brief scenario, very brief comment. Uh, woman pursues. It's unhealthy. So I tried three things. I tried minister as a brother. She didn't receive. I tried pulling back. She didn't receive. Finally, I got one pastor, then later another pastor. They agreed with what I was trying to do. She didn't receive. So finally, I just blocked her from everything I have. And she hates me for it. So take it. At this point, I think you just pray. Okay. I mean, that, that's, at this point, you just pray that the Lord would change your heart, depending on what the issue is behind it. You just pray that the Lord would help her sort through it, because when you, humanly speaking, don't have any other means relationally or practically to do it, then you ask the Lord to change the situation, and then you're patient. And she's in another state. But the process I took is reasonable from what I presented. I guess so. I would just need to go into a thousand details yep. to understand more. Thank you. Yeah. Hi, my name is Chris. I'm a member here. Um, first of all, thank you, Deepak, for um, a couple of things you said. But uh, I appreciate the fact that you called singles out to engage with other families, engage with others instead of just sitting, waiting for people to invite you over. Um, I thought that was great. Um, also, um, you know, what you had what you had just said in regards to that kind of stage that people go through. I'm uh, not married, I'm single, and I'm looking at my 30s well in the rearview mirror. And so those emotions and those thoughts that you had said people had go through stages of yeah. kind of, I'm living that dream. Um, so thank you. That's really, um, that kind of really resonated with me. But anyway, my question is, is as the church is a community and it as it grows and we are to engage with one another, how do you, the pie is only so big. The pie of my life can only be divided into yeah. so many different little pieces. And if you divide it more, it means that people are getting less. How do you balance between, I really want to pour my life into these individuals, I can't, so I have to devote more time versus dividing it more among people that you may not be as close with? Because your reality just, I'm not going to be as close with everyone. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if, if I'm, I'm a visual learner, so if I had a whiteboard, I'd start doing concentric circles of relationships, and all of us have concentric circles, like the most superficial, moving to the innermost circle would have a little heart in it, and like a few little people in that innermost circle. And those are the people who know me the best, moving out every circle to it becomes more and more superficial. Well, I, I th brother, I think I would say that that's just life. P 
practically speaking, I have only so many hours in a day and so many hours I can invest in relationships. And so you're expecting those concentric circles to be there, but it changes with every season. You know, it, it changes with every move. It changes with every church. And so you just want to think strategically and think about, like as we said, be deliberate in relating to the whole church. And that might mean, you know, some singles don't get as much of my attention because certain families are, or some, some families might get a lot of attention for their teens as I pour into them, which means certain ministries don't get my attention. But that's, I mean, this is what life is. And if you're ever uncertain about how to break up that pie, that's where that inner circle is really valuable. Because you go to that inner circle and say, here's my life, give me feedback. And that, that kind of feedback helps you in every season. So I trust that inner circle because they know me really well, and I also know they love me and they're committed to me, and they're godly people who will speak in. And so they'll help me understand. Like, you know, I had, I had one season where I'm, I'm, you know, a new pastor, I'm pouring into the church, and an older pastor said, you need to actually put some limits there because your family needs you more. I needed to hear that. So, you know, I expect, and he was part of that inner circle. I really trusted him, plus he was much more experienced in ministry, so he was exactly the right guy to speak in. So you, just, you get that kind of feedback that's going to help you adjust back and forth in all those relationships. Eric Rose, Christ Church, Westchester. Feedback, uh, thank you for being here today. <laughs> um, as a person... Um, with many failed relationships um, before my Christian faith. Um, what advice would you give me, um, you know, going through the process of thinking, maybe it's best for me to remain single and maybe for me to make a selection to say, I'm going to be single for the rest of my life intentionally. Yeah. A good friend of mine told me, hey, essentially by doing that, you're being a functional atheist. So what advice would you give to people in that situation? Yeah. Um, I, I would say, uh, number one, speak to your elders. Uh, let them give feedback to you. Help them understand. Uh, number two, speak to that inner circle who knows you really well. Make sure they're speaking in and helping guide you to it. Number three, test your understanding of a robust single life. Because if it's just simply out of bitterness, Lord, I'm going to give in and do this, versus no, look at what the Lord could do with me. And maybe that's my way to serve the kingdom. Oh, that's different. Thank you. Yeah. Um, Christina Johnson, Risen Christ Fellowship. Yeah. Thank you, Deepak. Um, I just have a question, and it might be a silly question, but... There are no silly questions. Okay. How, how do you encourage the single parent with the, what was said tonight? Oh, where, yeah, where that's a great relate? question. Yeah. Yeah. Would, uh, you, would you expand that to people who were just, whether single parent or just divorced or yeah. deceased. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, you know, this is where the community stuff comes even, I think, more vibrant because a single parent, say, having singles invest in her kids, especially, so Lee Tannehill is a part of our community group. When I came on staff 17 years ago, her husband left her. And she has been a, she has been one of my heroes because she is faithfully shepherded her girls 
through a lot of difficult years. Now they're both out of the home right now, and we, we see her multiple times a month as she comes over to our home. But what I loved is how people rallied around her for so many years, and she didn't have to do it all on her own. And what she said is, there was a couple of times where she was going to move away. She said, I didn't want to move away because I didn't want to give up this church. So that, that's what, uh, everything I said in terms of community and being connected together, it would apply to single parents, it would apply to divorced parents, of just not doing it on your own, because there is a real temptation to pull back, both out of shame and out of exhaustion. And you just don't want to do that. But you also have to be vocal and say, hey, I need help. <laughs> like, make aware of the elders, make aware to your friends, and then be grateful for the way community pours in. Amen. Thank you. Sure. Sure. You actually just answered my question, so thank you. Okay, you're welcome. <laughs> and thank you for being here after having strep and bronchitis. Yeah. <laughs> you're really good. You did that. Two questions. Yeah, two and one. <laughs> Boom. <laughs> uh, Jared Torrance, Covenant Fellowship Church. Um, yeah, so my, my question is, I, I'm not necessarily seeing the, that intentionality of pursuing uh, friendships and relationships with families amongst the single men in our church. There's a lot of that with the single women in our church, and they've been regularity, regu there's a regularity of them in our homes and different things like that. But um, what type of initiatives can I take? I'm a, I'm a dad of five kids, and uh, so our house is busy. We're loud, and we're super busy. Yeah. Um, what steps can I take to kind of take those initiatives towards the men, the single men of our church because um, no one's really inviting us over to um, cook. the college door. Yeah, to the college door. Yeah. That's not that's not the yeah. situations we're dealing with. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, I, I'd say the main thing is think about the ways you have to live life and invite the guys along. So the example I gave you of bringing 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 uh, bringing the guys. You know, it was one of our staff pastors who I I was coaching his son and my son on a game uh, on a team together. And I noticed when he came for his son's game, he always had a single guy with him. This is years ago. That's what put the idea in my mind. I thought, that's amazing. Like, he strategically always brought a single guy, and not always the same single guy, mm -hmm. to a game. Well, they both watched the game together, but look at all the things that he got to pick up and learn by hanging out with the staff pastor. So just look at all the ways that the Lord is calling you to be a faithful dad, and then think with your wife strategically, where can I bring some guys along? Okay. I think that's where you'd start. Okay. Appreciate it. Thank yeah. you. Hi, I'm Daniel. I go to Risen Christ Fellowship. Thank you for being here tonight. Um, I think you cast a really beautiful vision of what taking down walls in the church is like, and I think we need more of that. Um, are there any recommendations you would give for boundaries that should be set in any of these relationships? Yeah, um, that's a great question. So if we think about boundaries, we think about people who are boundary breakers, and that's often because they have strong desires or their immaturity or there's like particular needs. And it, it's, it's, it's both the responsibility of those who are involved to speak up to help boundary breakers know that they need to slow down. And I think it's especially the responsibility of pastors to notice and just say like, hey, no, no, hey, we don't do that around here. 
but to say it in a loving way. I mean, I've done that with a lot of young guys where I get like, oh, that was a little too much with the young lady. You need to chill out. But because I'm committed to them and involved in their life, they, they, they know that, that I, I'm doing this for their good. But for some people, it could be like, I love you. That's just not the best way to do it. And often what happens is in community, like people come into our community and they have all kinds of bad dating habits because the way the world works and uh, we need to actually help them understand biblically what it looks like to relate to one another. Could you expand that? That's a great question to uh, any type of opposite sex friendship relationship in the context of the church. I don't think it's just singles that are saying, hey, a potential mate, but it's almost like people perceive anytime anybody's talking to each other of the opposite sex, married or single, okay, something nefarious is happening here which actually just destroys friendships as a whole. People yep. can't talk to each other because of that. Yep. Any advice you'd give to just churches as a whole to, to have healthy biblical friendships yep. with, and kind of tear yep. that down a little bit? Can I do a timeout for just a second? You just did. I, th- I drank so much water, i got to go to the restroom real fast and go back. <laughs> this, this is the first. Okay. So, I, I will be right back. We're on an intermission. Uh, and turn his <laughs> mic off. So... Uh, I, <laughs> And stop recording. That's how I got a thumbs up there. That's good. Okay, now your question again. I just just have a story for Mark now. (laughs) um, As it relates to to that question of uh, any type of opposite sex relationship in the church where there can be actual friendship, we, we assume that, all right, if two singles are talking of the opposite sex, then, okay, maybe something bad's happening. But anytime men and women at all talk in the church, married or single, People just, they don't, don't communicate. But your talk was trying to encourage friendship, yeah. right? Like, so it doesn't matter what might ultimately happen. Yeah. Right? We're trying to just say friendship should exist yeah. across married and singles. Yeah. Well, and in fact, I mean, we take it one step further. Friendship is the foundation from which dating relationships should come. So there, there is cold turkey asking out, you know, as in I don't have a stronger relationship and, you know, uh, all my, my closest friends and mentors have said she's a really godly woman. I've tried, but in our church with 800, sometimes you just don't have overlapping circles. And then I'm, you know, I'm, I'm a bit more okay with a guy just going ahead and trying um, and asking her out. But what I want is I want, like, no, let's just have healthy friendships. And it's just, we're going to be in close proximity and you put enough singles in close proximity to one another with healthy friendships, you have what we have, 15 to 25 weddings a year. It just naturally starts happening. You don't have to do much after that. <laughs> so in that sense, like, let's set the goal at uh, uh, building those healthy friendships. And if we're, we're good about explaining what that could look like and we're great about encouraging it, it'll start happening. Claire. Hi, I'm Claire, a member here at Christ Church. Thank you for being here today. I wonder what your advice or encouragement would be for not yet married women versus not yet married men, and if there's different advice that you would give. And in, in what sense, Claire, in terms of advice for... In terms of advice for uh, women who hope to be married and men who hope to be married and how they kind of conduct themselves as singles. Oh, and you're talking stage. about in terms of the hope for either of them, what, yes. oh, how to think about it. Yeah, I mean, so on the one hand... Um, desiring to have a godly spouse is a good thing because it's in Scripture. So I don't want to do anything that's contrary to Scripture. It's in the Bible. 
And yet, what we don't want is to put God to a promise that He's never made. So He's not promised you a spouse, He just said it's good to desire it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So that's, that's the balance I'm trying to hold. Like, yes, do pray for it. Yes, have hope in it. <coughs> but don't hold God to an expectation for a promise He's never given you. And therefore, you can let God be God and pray and be active in your community and trust that, he, you know, this is going to work out for its good. And, you know, what I said, you know, it changes over the, the, the different decades. You, you enter into their 20s, young, optimistic, you know, not very picky, willing to just go ahead at it. 30s, like you, your options begin to narrow. You're a little bit more open to things that you probably weren't in your 20s. 40s, you're like, you know, if he's a faithful Christian, comes to church and he obeys, I might marry him. <laughs> it just changes with each generation. And I have to ask the 40-year-old, like, hey, actually, bathing and coming to church is more, is, you know, it's good, but we need more than that, uh, Ricard. So, yeah. <laughs> so I want to preserve that balance of desire, but not oh, having expectations for God that aren't really there. Hi, Tim Garber. I'm a member here at uh, Christ Church Westchester. Yeah. Um, my question is, how can we minister to and serve and apply these principles to somebody who is married to an unbelieving spouse um, and yeah, is functionally that's a, a single question. person in, in the church? Yeah. Yeah, the, the main thing I would say is, especially if the unbelieving spouse is not coming regularly, I think the assumption most of us make is they're out of reach. And so, all of our ministry is to the believing spouse who's a member and regularly comes. And yet, I want you to imagine the possibility that people in church could actually initiate with the spouse. And let, let, me, let me give you an example, because I do this all the time in counseling. When I hear about uh, a wife who's struggling in her marriage and her husband uh, is not a, a, a believer and not even coming to church, I, I ask the wife, can I have permission to call your husband? and just take them out to lunch. Um, uh, and often what I'm just trying to do is just try to begin to build a relationship with them so I become a trusted friend. And you know what good I can do to now both of them as I relate to them. And you know, I've had mixed success. Sometimes it doesn't really work and doesn't go so far. Sometimes actually it goes really well. And so I have a number of non-Christian spouses who I've got friendships with and I've built friendships with deliberately, and I, I think pastor, because I want to be a help to the member. I want to care well for, in this case, her. Uh, and when she comes to me with a marriage issue, I want to be able to relate to both of them. So we're at a place where he trusts me enough. When they have a marriage issue, now they both come in together. And he doesn't come on Sundays. I mean, he doesn't come to church. But they have a marriage, and I, even though she's married to a non-Christian, I want them to have a good marriage. And it's part of my job to help them both figure out what that could look like. Uh, one more question for yeah. you this evening. Um, in the context of your congregation, uh, you're saying, okay, largely young. Uh, 
would, what advice would you give to people who, when they come into congregations, they might look at that and they'd say they're older, like, hey, I'm not going to join here. It's a lot of young people. Or singles come in and say, hey, I see a lot of married couples, smaller, single amount of people. I'm not going to join here. Or married people are coming in, it's a lot of single and younger people, and they're saying, hey, I don't want to be here. Yeah. That's also breaking down all of the categories that you yeah. said. is like, hey, that's not the reason to leave a church, or is it a reason to leave a church? Yeah. Or what would you say? Yeah, humanly speaking, it makes sense that you would roll the numbers and the, the, the statistics say if you go to a church with a lot of singles, more likely you'll meet someone. But I'm just going to give you the example of the guy who led me to faith in Christ. Gary was in his 20s in a small a Bible-believing church that had no 20s and no 30-year-olds. But the choice Gary made was to stay and pour into the junior high and high schoolers. And so there's a generation of kids who came to faith under his ministry. Um, And, you know, fun for my story, because Gary's the first in the long line of guys who mentored me. My senior of high school, Carol, whose husband had died of a sudden heart attack, came to our church. They dated and got married when I was a senior in high school. So, you know, statistically speaking, it makes sense. If you go to a church with a lot of singles, more likely you'll get married. That's true, humanly speaking. But I think my God is in charge of everything. And so, if He wants you to be married, He will, no matter what the circumstance is. So, does that mean I choose to be a missionary in Siberia, uh, where I have no other people my age who are single? Oh, you know, actually, uh, we've helped singles come back because they knew they want to get married, and in their isolated context, it's highly unlikely. So, we encourage them to come back, consider being a part of our life for a few years, and see if the Lord would open up that door. And Mike Barnes, a young guy who was exactly in that position, he was in, uh, 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 he was literally in a war zone, unlikely to be dating someone in a war zone. And he realized as a young guy in his 20s, as a missionary, he still wanted to get married. So we said, come back. And he did. He met Marla. They got married. Guess what? Now he and his wife are both back in that country. So I, I think it's fine to do either one. I don't think the Lord's, a, my point of the story is not, oh, take the risk on the place where there's no singles. My point is just trust the Lord, get advice, and then choose wisely. And, 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 and the Lord could lead you in either direction. I just don't want to assume showing up at a church with a bunch of singles is the only way to do it. All right. Last question, sister. Thank you. Um, hi, Jelani Brown from Risen Christ Fellowship. I have a question for a friend, asking on behalf of a friend. Um, in this in this online dating world, how should Christian women pursue dating? Should they pursue or should it only come through friendship? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, uh, uh, my quick answer would be, I think you should always start, if you can, within your local church because there is so much unity built into a dating relationship by actually worshiping in the same community with the same gospel, with the same preaching, with the same statement of faith, with the same church covenant, with the same gospel intangibles. So you already have a head start on mostly everyone else in the dating world and potential unity in the relationship. So start in your local church, but then, you know, be, be open. If, if there are people you trust who introduce you to other people who are not necessarily in your community, 
then, you know, be, be, be open and humble about those possibilities. Um, but when it comes to online, the danger is that you get a slice of the person without seeing them in context. So, you know, I've got, I've got a draft of something that I haven't finished which is uh, how to date long distance. And there's a chapter warning against this and setting out a model for what I thought was the best example I've ever seen of two people in separate communities uh, actually working, working out and ended up getting married. And the main thing is if you choose someone who is, say, not a part of your community or in an online context, you need to move quickly to making sure you're connected to both communities and that other people are involved, so you're not getting, for example, online one sliver of a person, and then you find out later on that really wasn't completely the person that, that you got to know. So I'm not opposed to online dating. I think you just need to do it very carefully. And if you do it apart from community and community's involvement from early on, you're in for potentially a lot of trouble. That's my thought. Would you all help me thank Deepak for his time here?